Let's stop for a quick prayer. God, our Father, thank you for being the God of light who brings light into the world. We read that in the opening pages of the first book of the Bible. And thank you for sending Jesus into the world as the true light of the world who gives us understanding and hope and vision. Thank you for sending him with all of the the power and authority of heaven itself to break into this wonderful yet very troubled world and to be present in the lives of real people. We ask that as we gather today in all of our homes and wherever we are viewing this morning, that the light of Jesus will break through into our hearts and minds in profound ways. Allow us to see in a fresh way that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that we live lives that are under the authority and under the, the leadership of Jesus the King. Lord, during this time that you would give us hope, hope that is anchored in truth, hope that is anchored in your plan for human life and for this world, hope that Jesus is coming again and that one day we will walk with him and we will be united with him and we will see him face to face. Guide us today as we look into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. On August 5th, 2010, as a group of miners were descending into their place of work, one falling rock became an explosion that turned into an incredible collapse throughout the mine. Suddenly, 33 men were trapped 2,000 feet below the surface of the San Jose mine in Chile. Their ordeal would last 69 days, and rescue attempts would capture the interests and prayers of people all around the world. Hector Tovar told the stories of the 33 survivors in a book called Deep Down Dark. It was subtitled, The Untold Stories of the 33 Men Buried in Lay and Mine and the Miracle That Set Them Free. Deep Down Dark. That title alone tells uh, of the difficulty of their ordeal. He wrote that, quote, a single block of diorite as tall as a 45-story building had become dislodged from the mountain and began crashing downward through several layers of the mine. They were cut off from all of the escape tunnels that had been built more than 100 years earlier. Even if they had been able to reach those escape tunnels, the ladders that were needed to bring them higher were all gone. The men were unable to ret- or were able rather to retreat to a steel-enforced escape room that was known as the refuge. There, cut off from all communications, hoping that some form of rescue would come, they took stock of the provisions that were already set aside in that room. Those provisions were designed to keep 25 men alive for two days. While drilling companies from around the world began to gather, trying to find ways to drill a hole large enough to extract grown men, the 33 men devised an extreme food rationing plan that would help them survive. Soon they settled on this regimen, one small scoop of tuna and two cookies for each man each day at noon. Then as the supplies started getting lower, as the the rescue took longer and longer, that food rationing plan was reduced to one cookie every other day at noon, and then one cookie every third day. They accessed industrial water that was used for engine cooling, 
It was oily, it was smelly, but it was drinkable if they took it in small amounts. And I kept them going while they listened to drilling attempts that kept falling short. On day 17 of the ordeal, a drill finally broke through, creating a four and a half inch hole, allowing fresh air in and notes out, letting people up on top know that all 33 men were still alive. And then they were able to send down some fresh food supplies that could be passed through that small hole going down 2,000 feet. And that four and a half inch hole brought them a burst of hope. But they knew that they were still deep down and dark. And it would be another 52 days before drilling could create a hole large enough to lift human beings, men, out of that dungeon one person at a time. I have a question for you on the basis of that story. Have you noticed that there are some seasons in life that just seem like they are full of darkness? So far, 2020 has been like that. Even here in August, with so many days in the 90s, we are going through a very dark time. I bring all this up with you today because we're starting a new series of messages today that are all based on the, the theme of hope. The series is called Finding Hope, with a fuller title or subtitle as Finding Hope in Troubling Times. Today, I want you to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ starts with hope rising in the midst of one of the darkest times. So welcome back to North River Church. I am so glad that you are here. And if you're new, even better that you have found us. Over the past few weeks, I've been hearing from people who are struggling with this season of COVID-19 and as it lingers on. We hear it from people whose jobs have been significantly altered. We hear it from students who lost their spring season of school, sports, graduation, events, and friends, and now they're facing a fall without sports, uncertainty about college dorm rooms, classes on Zoom from kindergarten to college, and parents who are ready to tear their hair out. This is a dark time. And when light emerges from darkness, we find hope bursting onto the scene. This past Monday night, we had our second North River parking lot prayer night of the summer. And a good-sized group of people turned out as David Coate led us in worship and we prayed together. Afterward, one of my North River friends remarked that this was the first time that she had driven up the North River driveway in five months. And just being there filled her with such hope. We're going to talk for a few minutes about how Jesus started his public ministry with hope. Now, how did Jesus start with hope? Three ways. First, by acknowledging life's dark places. So the passage that Beth read for you a moment ago begins with these words in, in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then here's the key verse, verse 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. What kind of darkness are we talking about when we talk about darkness at the beginning of the Gospels? Well, Jesus learned four things. First was that John the Baptist had been put in prison. The second is that Matthew mentions Nazareth, and we'll talk about that a little bit today and a little bit more next week. 
Third, he mentions two of Israel's tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, that no longer had land of their own. And the fourth was, he adds a note about a place called Galilee of the Gentiles. All of this is summed up as Matthew quotes Isaiah the prophet saying, the people living in darkness. Let me explain to you why these terms were all describing great darkness. First, Jesus knew that John the Baptist would never see the light of day again. John had come preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. He had been calling people to repent of their sins and then to be baptized. And the whole land of Israel had been talking about John the Baptist and his message and wondering who was this king who was coming. Along the way, John had called out King Herod for his wickedness. John was the herald of King Jesus, and yet King Herod, the temporary tetrarch of Israel, had put John in prison to shut him up. When the herald of the king's work was done, it was time for the king himself to begin his work, which is what Jesus did. Second, Matthew mentions Nazareth. Nazareth had not gone so well for Jesus, and we'll talk about this next Sunday. We'll look at greater depth at that, but Jesus' first sermon in the synagogue in his hometown had been an absolute disaster. For them, they would not acknowledge their darkness or that Jesus could possibly be the light And so by the end of that sermon, the people of his own hometown sought to kill Jesus, taking him to a high hill, wanting to to throw him over the edge. We don't talk about scenes like that in regard to Jesus very often, certainly not early in his ministry. The third factor is when we hear the names of these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. Capernaum was the city where Jesus began his ministry years and spent nearly two years with Capernaum as his home base. It was a fishing village on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was near the borders of two of the lost tribes of Israel, these tribes known as Naphtali and Zebulun. When Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, each tribe was allotted a certain section of land. Ten tribes had settled more or less in the north and the west, and two tribes had settled in the south, nearer to where Jerusalem would be built. Years later, after the reign of Solomon, the people had split into two separate nations. The ten tribes in the north were known as the kingdom of Israel, and the two tribes in the south were called Judah. The ten tribes in the north began to worship idols and follow other gods. Isaiah the prophet had warned them, but Israel collapsed under a siege by the nation of Assyria. Many of the people from these tribes were carried off and scattered, which is why they're called the lost tribes of Israel today. The northern kingdom fell in 722 BC, and these 10 tribes, these 10 lost tribes of Israel would never ever gather again. And then the fourth factor comes in where Matthew adds one more dark note about a place known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, this is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah used that phrase. When the ten tribes were carried away, the Assyrians moved in people from other nations to occupy the land that had belonged to these northern tribes. Zebulun and Naphtali had been gone for 900 years. From the time of Isaiah to the time of Jesus, Galilee then took on this new name of Galilee of the Gentiles. At least that's what, what the people in Jerusalem called this area. Galilee was a more multicultural region than Judea, and so Jesus' reach was broad and multi-ethnic right from the start. So remember this when you think that we're living in dark times. 
The gospel of hope starts in very dark times. Jesus comes to us in the midst of dark times. And the darkest of times was the right time for Jesus the King to let his light shine. Let me introduce to you the the big idea for this morning. Hope rises when we see light shining in the darkness. And Jesus is God's light in the darkness. Here's the second way that Jesus started with hope. The first was by acknowledging dark places. The second is by showing the connection between light and hope. Verse 16 says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. While Jesus referred to the darkness in Isaiah chapter 9, there was more to that specific quote. Isaiah went on to point out that people living in darkness have seen a great light. Have you ever been caught in absolute darkness? What happened or changed when light began to break through the darkness? When Isaiah wrote more than 600 years before the time of Jesus, he was aware that the displaced or lost tribes of Israel had been replaced by foreign non-Jewish people groups. The result over the many, many years and decades and even hundreds of years going forward was a mixed population of Jews, Gentiles, and a mishmash of religious thought. By New Testament times, southern Jews were very suspicious that anything good could come out of Galilee. Can you hear the suspicion that they had for Jesus? Can something good come out of Nazareth? And Isaiah reminds us of this with his use of the term Galilee of the Gentiles. Yet Isaiah revealed that the light of the gospel would start there in Galilee, transforming hopelessness into hope. That's what Jesus does. Isaiah didn't know when this would happen, but Isaiah saw a glimpse from afar. He envisioned this transformation from hopelessness to hope, and this light would offer hope to all the world. In the Jewish scriptures, light was a frequent frequent theme. Walking in the light meant that a person was obedient to the Lord and enjoying life in His ways. Jesus left no doubt When later on he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He said that in John chapter 8. Let's return for a moment to the story of the 33 miners. These men knew that they were in deep darkness because they had lived most of their lives in the light, but they would go down day after day into the tunnels to mine. That four and a half inch wide hole brought light into their deep, deep, darkness. Those trapped men celebrated, although they were not free and would not be free for another 52 days. And they began to hold daily prayer meetings there in that safe room 2,000 feet below the earth's surface. Daily they would pray and they would ask God to reveal himself to them and also to rescue them. And their families gathered at the entrance of the mine and refused to leave until their husbands and fathers had been rescued. This, of course, added pressure, even more pressure, for the government to come through with a rescue. Their encampment became known as Camp Esperanza, which means in English, Camp Hope. Finally, the drillers broke through, creating a tunnel large enough to lift each man out with a specially designed lift. It was just wide enough for them to close their arms and for one body to fit in and then to be lifted all the way through that 2,000-foot shaft that had been created. 
Hope rises whenever we see light shining in the darkness. And we have to remember that Jesus is God's light in the darkness whenever you encounter that darkness. Here's the third way that Jesus started with hope. By revealing himself, by revealing Jesus as the light in the darkness. We have seen how Matthew connects the starting of Jesus' public ministry with Isaiah's prophecy about a great light shining in the darkness. While you wonder, what was the light that they could see back in Isaiah's day? And now, here in Jesus' time, what was the light that had dawned? Isaiah went on to point out that people living in the darkness had seen a great light. But what was that light? Matthew's gospel assumes that his readers are familiar with the book of Isaiah. Even though Matthew doesn't directly quote them, there were words that followed just a few verses later after Isaiah mentions this light. And they're words that you are familiar with because you hear them every Christmas time. But in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, we find these words written by Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this you and i are familiar with those verses we we hear them in the hallelujah chorus and we we see them on christmas cards and we hear them at christmas time but this was the hope of the world in the light of jesus being announced more than 600 perhaps 650 years before jesus even rose and that simple mentioning of the light that was coming of the wonderful counselor of the prince of peace brought light into the dark world that isaiah was living in as everything began to collapse because the northern people northern kingdom and its people had turned away from god and had turned to idols instead Hope rises whenever we see light shining in the darkness, and that's especially true when we encounter Jesus, for Jesus is God's light in the darkness. There is great beauty when God's strength comes alongside our brokenness and our darkness. I was reminded of this earlier this week when I watched a a video about Team Hoyt. Perhaps you're familiar with them if you're in the Boston area. And perhaps you will see the same comparison that moved me. Watch this now. A father and a son. Dick Hoyt. Son Rick Hoyt. Because of tragedy at birth, Rick can't walk or talk. Because of tragedy at birth, Dick can't play catch with his son. Because of together, they're an inspiration to people.
people around the world. Dick and Judy wanted a normal life for their son. Together, they put Rick in public school. Rick learned to write his thoughts using a special computer. When Rick was 15, he communicated to his dad that he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit run. Dick was not a runner, but agreed to push Rick in his wheelchair. For the first time in his life, Rick didn't feel handicapped. So together, they run. Together, they compete in marathons. Together, they compete in triathlons. Together, they trekked 3,770 miles across America. Rick couldn't compete without his dad. Dick wouldn't compete without his son. Dick is the body, and Rick is the heart. Together, they run. Together has power. Don't run alone. So what was the darkness and the brokenness in that video? It had to do with a couple of parents who were trying to reach their son with a great disability, dashed dreams, people who saw no potential and no future for this young man. But when the father and son came together and they began to run for the joy of it, not necessarily to win, but for the joy of the experience, a better story emerged, empowered by hope, that gave hope to all kinds of other people. You see, that's what happens with us. Many people in this life don't realize that we're trapped in darkness. It's the darkness of our own sin. It's the darkness of a broken world. 
And Jesus enters in and he walks alongside of us. And the story of walking alongside of Jesus makes things so much better. The story just gets better and better the longer that we walk with him, the farther we go into the journey. Hope rises whenever we see light shining in the darkness. And there is so much potential for your life when you come to realize that Jesus is God's light in the darkness and that walking in his light transforms everything about life. Are you finding yourself overwhelmed by the darkness of this season? It's time for you to renew your trust in Jesus, the king who conquered sin and conquered death. Jesus, the king who will return to fully establish his eternal kingdom. Jesus is God's light in the midst of our dark time, even right now. It's interesting, the final verse in this section of Matthew 4 that we're looking at today presents the message that Jesus gave early on in those first couple of years and first few months of his ministry. It was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven has come near. What that is telling you and me is that we can live as members of the kingdom of heaven right now in this world as it is, with your life as it is. It's a call not just to believe with your mind, but to bring your whole self and submit yourself to the king. For the presence of the king exists in this world today because Jesus has come. And when he comes again, he will come to restore all things and to fully set up his kingdom and make it manifest, make it visible to all. But it is possible for you and me to have a triumphant life now when you are in vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus transforms the darkness and hope rises whenever we see light shining in the darkness because Jesus is God's light in the darkness. Pray along with me for just a moment. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus into the world and not just so that he could save our souls for someday in the future, but that he could transform life now for us and make us people who are filled with hope and filled with a sense of the power and potential that comes when we do life in vital communion with Jesus day after day. As you transform us from the inside out, you transform all of life, and little by little you change the world. So God, I am asking that you would change our world and continue to do so one life at a time, one heart and mind and life that is submitted to Jesus the King. Help us to come under the reign of Jesus and to welcome his reign into our lives. You're the person who's saying, Lord, I want that. I want that life of hope. Uh, I want that that life of walking with you. I, I want that life that is characterized by light, not darkness. And so I will trust you and I will follow you. And God, I ask that as we do that, as we turn away from all of the other patterns of life and control mechanisms that we've created to craft a life for ourselves, that you will open up your vision for who each of us is supposed to become and for the role each of us is supposed to play. Give us a purpose and a sense of destiny. and Give us the joy that comes from knowing your light in the midst of the darkness. Bring hope to each person who trust Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today. It's in his name that we've gathered and worshiped. 
It's in his name that we will go forward believing that there is more to life than we ever imagined. Amen. I want to thank you for gathering with us all of these weeks. You and I are living in unprecedented times where we don't know what the future holds. But you know what? The church was designed to conquer in any and every situation. So we can adjust. We can adjust in the light of Jesus. We can adjust to all of this through the hope that he brings. And you and I can live hope-filled lives today in every way. I hope that you'll continue supporting North River. I want to thank you for the ways that you have been generous and the ways that you've been adaptable and creative. We are continuing the ministry of North River, and you carry it with you wherever you go. You can also help by supporting us through your giving. There are five ways that you can give to support North River. Right now, you can click on your screen. There's a Give button that's found in the chat box or in the notes section on your viewing screen. And if you click that, that will take you to a portal for giving. You can quickly and easily give by texting North River CC and text the number 77977 and follow the prompts. That will lead you to a Texan church provision where you can give uh, through your, your cell phone. Or you can give through our website, northriverchurch.org. Click on the, the, the Give button, and that'll take you uh, to a way where you can do that safely and securely. You can, of course, use your bank's online bill pay, which many people do, and you can set that up. Of course, you can always mail a check physically to North River Church, 334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke, Massachusetts, 02359. You've been very generous, and we are adapting together because in the light of the hope of Jesus, we are adaptable and resilient people because the mission goes on even when the methods change. Stay with us for one final song as we conclude, and I hope that you will take the blessing of Jesus Christ that the kingdom is near with you wherever you go this week. God bless you.